Hi, this is Nasir Adderley, and you're listening to Chargers Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on a Week 5 edition of Chargers Weekly on the new Chargers Podcast Network. Coming up, we'll get this week's opposing view out of Denver from Nikki Javala of The Athletic. Chargers radio analyst Daniel Jeremiah shares his keys to victory for the Bolts against the Broncos, plus a pair of broadcasting legends. The NFL Today and Inside the NFL's James Brown will join me a bit later. But first, CBS Sports' Jim Nance previews Broncos Chargers. All right, my first guest will be in the booth along with Tony Romo for Broncos Chargers on CBS. Very pleased to be joined by the great Jim Nance here on Chargers Weekly. And Jim, we're excited to have you in L.A. How you doing, sir? I'm well. You know, we haven't been, uh, I'm talking about our crew, Tony Romo and I have not done a game uh, in L.A. with the Chargers, so we're anxious to experience it. Well, Jim, if I'm not mistaken, you and Tony were not on a Chargers game at all in 2018 until the last two playoff games in Baltimore, New England, correct? That is correct. And then, of course, we had them at Baltimore, at New England. And like what uh, we saw with the way they played against the Ravens, ran into a buzzsaw. The Super Bowl champs were waiting for him up in Foxborough, but anxious to be uh, reunited with uh, Coach Lynn and Philip Rivers and that whole bunch. And on top of it, we're expecting, it's not official yet, but we're expected to be back for the Chargers home game against Green Bay in early November. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Well, first things first, we'll get to this one with the Broncos a team that's 0-4, but Jim, they don't feel like an 0-4 team to me. Obviously, they have uh, some major injury news with Bradley Chubb out for the year, but you talk about two last-second losses at home. Couple that with just the AFC West and the matchups. These teams know each other so well. Uh, looking for a close game on Sunday. I agree. You know, there are what there are four winless uh, AFC teams right now, and the Broncos are the best of that bunch. Not that that's any great honor to be able to say you're the best of the winless teams, but Vic Fangio, their head coach, is someone I've known in this league for a long time. Well-respected defensive coordinator. He's got to be just beside himself to be coming into this game, you know, at two and two at the worst. They've been in every game. They could have won all four of them. And now to, to be looking for a first win on the road, division rival, I mean, it's it's tough times around around Bronco land right now, for sure. Jim, your initial impressions of what you've seen from this Chargers team through the first quarter of the season, two and two, a lot of key injuries that they're trying to overcome early. Does it is it just me, or does it seem like the Chargers are the unluckiest team in the league when it comes to injuries every year? <laughs> I don't think year. it's just I'm, you. I, you know, and Jim, yeah. I'm going to read off a couple of them. Hunter Henry, yep. Virgil Green, Sean Colkin, all three of their tight ends. Derwin James, Melvin Ingram, Mike Williams was out last week, Adrian Phillips, Russell Okung. They're going to get Melvin Gordon back, and obviously that's not injury-related, but just a laundry list of players that the Chargers are hoping to get back at some point in 2019. It's just bizarre because it's every year like this. It seems like it's the same story, a slow start out of the gate for the Chargers, and then right around this time they kick it in the gear, and uh, that's what I'm expecting the them to do once again, but it just the, the injury story with them. I've been covering the NFL now for over thirty years, and for the last ten years, it's the it's the broken record of the league is that the Chargers have been hit with some severe injuries. And I, 
hey, I know it's a part of the game. Everybody knows that, but it sure doesn't seem like it's equaled out. And, uh, you know, I've got to move on. Uh, this is uh, a team that last year uh, I-, I thought would play better on the road against New England. I thought they had a chance going at a game, but the first half uh, the Patriots jumped on them and ended, ended the Chargers season. But I- I'm expecting this still to be a very good team. You know, they're two and two. And uh, at the quarter pole, and this to me is an 11 to five type of a team. But you know, the, the hardest thing is you're, you're looking at Kansas City right now, sitting there at four and zero, and you got New England on the you know other side of the country at four and zero. Then you have a pair of divisions in the AFC where the the, the lead is at two and two. I mean, it, it 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 just seems like anything can happen. We know that it's still a long way to go in the regular season, but it sure seems like. Right now, everybody is lining up for the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth playoff seats in the conference behind New England and Kansas City. And then if you're a team like the Chargers, if it pans out that way, you've got to go win some games on the road, which they've done. They didn't, you know, didn't finish the deal last year at New England, but they won it at Baltimore, which was an impressive, very impressive win. And I know, of course, they still, you know, they're still going to see Kansas City, of course, but, but it, it is, uh, it is amazing. It is amazing to see the way already this early in the season, the way the AFC is kind of shaping up and shaking out. You know, it's so interesting that we talk about injuries in the Chargers, and then in the same breath we talk about Phillip Rivers, who hasn't missed a start since 2006. In fact, entering Week 5, he's third in the NFL in passing yards, seven touchdowns, two picks, passer rating of over 105. And, Jim, in a season where we've seen Big Ben go down, We've seen Eli kind of pass the torch to Daniel Jones, Drew Brees go down. Your appreciation for what Rivers is doing in year 17. Well, it's a business as usual. Cam Newton's gone down. Yep. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, what's happened with these quarterbacks around the league? Who in the world thinks that an 18 game schedule is a good idea or a 17 game schedule? All of this is being discussed right now in the collective bargaining agreement, and I just don't get it. But uh, thankfully for the Chargers' sake, Rivers, like Brady, has figured out a way. Of course, Tom had the year in 2008 where he blew out a knee in the first game of the season. But other than that, and he just marches on. And then you look at Phillip, his whole career, the way he's taken so many hits. And uh, he's still standing, as the song goes, and playing as well now as he ever has at any point of his career. Thank goodness, if you're a Chargers fan, you've got Phillip Rivers as your quarterback. Jim Keenan Allen, too, a big reason why Phillip, his numbers are so good in 2019. And he leads the league in targets. He leads the league in receiving yards, tied for first in receptions. You see that chemistry that him and Phillip have. And I was trying to rack my brain. I don't know if there's a lot of current quarterback-wide receiver combos who are as good as Rivers and Allen. No, it'd be hard to come up with something. You know, you could say... You could still say maybe Matt Ryan or Julio Jones, but yeah. Ryan's got two other guys to throw to, you know, and Calvin Ridley and Mohamed Sanu uh, and Rodgers and Devontae Adams. No, I'm not seeing that. You know, uh, Houston with Watson and Hopkins. Hopkins is off to a slow start this year. Odell's one of the best receivers in the league, but I mean, he had a two-catch game this last weekend. I, I think right now it's the best quarterback-wide receive combo we got, and you know, there's another, speaking of, of injuries, there's another guy that's just amazing the way he's bounced back after those devastating injuries, the knee injuries early in his career. I never thought he'd ever be able to be the player he is today, but 
he's a special special player and a special guy, Keenan Allen. It's a pretty good chance we're going to see Melvin Gordon make his debut against the Broncos. But how about the guy who has replaced him the first four weeks of the year, Austin Eckler, really off to an impressive start. 490 all-purpose yards, six total touchdowns. You're going to need a healthy Melvin Gordon to close out this year, but Austin Eckler has been awfully impressive and versatile, Jim. Well, his story is just amazing how he made himself an NFL player from such a small school and even unrecognized when he first came to a training camp with the Chargers and how he willed himself to be an NFL player and not just make a roster but to make a difference. And his production, it's not going to go away, even with Gordon to return. I fully expect in this game, uh, uh, Melvin will will get uh, will get quite a quite a workout in this one after not seeing a snap last week. So I think I think this is the time to get Gordon going again. But you know, you to figure out how you make those guys work in tandem. Well, we've seen it before. I think Eckler's though deserving of a little bit more of a role than he had last year when he was a passing down kind of a guy. I mean, he's just, he's able to, I mean, he's played like an every down back to his credit. Right. He's, he's incredible. And Melvin Gordon last year, he was hurt during the playoffs, Jim, and he had that knee injury. I think the importance of having that running game and keeping him fresh, coupled with Austin, is going to be a big reason why this Chargers team could go far in 2019. After seeing that loss to New England, and it was a tough one for a lot of these guys who were back, what do you think needs to change down the stretch for the Chargers if they're going to have a chance to beat the Chiefs and the Patriots in January? you got to get everybody back. I mean, you got to get as healthy as you can. You can't have uh, Melvin Ingram uh, by that late in the season. If you're talking about playing in a similar situation at Gillette Stadium, um, and he'll be healthy by then. But you, you've got to get as many healthy bodies as you can uh, coming back. Uh, just last year, whatever, the, the, the scheme, um, Belichick and Josh McDaniels figured it out pretty quickly of how to attack that defense that had stepped up so big the previous week. Um, and, and it's just – it, is it doable? Sure, it's doable. Uh, you know, New England's got its own issues, even though it's undefeated. They've got uh, an offensive line that's that's uh, got some massive issues there with injuries. And you know, let's let's wait till January rolls around to see how to face that battle. But you know, you got to get healthy. You can't afford to lose games to teams you shouldn't lose to. Uh, I was watching the Chargers last week against Miami, and I was thinking. At halftime, you better be careful now. That's right. You know, you, you cannot let this get you can't these. It's 16, as everybody says, 16 one game seasons. And every game is so crucial, you can't throw away these games. And uh, thankfully for the Chargers' sake, they, you know, dominated the second half and came out of there at two and two instead of one and three. So uh, let's see where this team goes. Who knows? Maybe they went out and go 14 and two. But uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna face a, a, a Denver team, a desperate Denver team in this spot, and it's not going to be as easy as you might think on paper. No doubt about that, Jim. Final thing for you: just your overall takeaways from the first four weeks of September. I always feel like this is like an extended preseason. We're really not going to see the true teams until October, November, maybe even December. I, it's the strangest start to a season, Chris, that I can ever recall because mm. we've had. So many bad teams reveal themselves early. And I'm not putting Denver in that group, but, you know, Miami is, Cincinnati is. I mean, we, we know that. I mean, 
the Jets without Darnold, you know, that's that, that's a terrible team. And, and and the disparity between the top and the bottom, it, it's just there's a big gulf there. Uh, and uh, it, it's been surprising to me. Um, uh, there were some teams, uh, take it right again in the AFC, where the AFC network, so it's our package, Pittsburgh with Roethlisberger going down. Well, they got their first win on Monday night against Cincinnati, so they're off the schneid. But uh, it's unusual going into uh, October with so many of our game scenarios at CBS that you kind of have mapped out when the schedule is released. Well, this will be our game the second week of November. This will be our December schedule. I mean, it has gone up in flames. Our schedule is there's going to have to be some creative uh, <laughs> creative minds come together and figure out some flex scheduling because some, some, some of the games that we were leaning on to be our primary A games, they're just not going to be there late in the year because of some of the teams that have gotten off to such a struggling start. Yeah, travel arrangements may be changing for you in November, yeah. December, no doubt. No question. Jim, always appreciate you Thanks, coming Chris. on with us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at the stadium, and we'll see you soon. Come by and say hello in the booth. We'll be there early. Look forward to it. All right, let's get to these questions, y'all boys. Yo, Jack boys, how do you get the girls? What does it say to get the girls? <laughs> no fake energy. No oh fake. God. I hate fake energy. Chargers fans, be sure to check out Dear Jack Boys presented by Pepsi and take all football celebrations to the next level. Whether it's a Hail Mary touchdown or a defensive stop on the goal line, when it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open a Pepsi. Pepsi, a proud sponsor of the Los Angeles Chargers, reminds you to always be celebrating. All right, joined by Daniel Jeremiah as the Chargers get ready for their first AFC West game of 2019. DJ, the boys bounce back in Miami. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't easy. At least in the first half of that ball game, you look at the Miami Dolphins, and um, I thought that was the best they had played all year long. Was the first half of that football game, end up catching the Chargers sleeping a little bit on a wheel route and get a touchdown. But after that, I thought the defense really dialed in, and the offense really outside of a penalty uh, on Feeney early on in that game. I mean, didn't didn't get slowed down at all. Didn't matter who the names were out there. Phillip Rivers was uh, uh, he was very comfortable and uh, and had the game under control. Keenan Allen had 48 yards receiving, and I look at the stats this week, he's still leading the NFL by like 60, 70 yards. That's how good of a first quarter he's had. Yeah, and you're starting to see the impact of that with him drawing coverage, and we saw Dontrell Inman have a a nice night, uh, or a nice day, I should say, down there in Miami, because so much attention is going towards 13, and that's going to that's going to be something that no matter who's on the other side, hopefully Mike Williams comes back here pretty soon, uh, he's going to be the benefactor of that as well. The injuries, it's, it's getting... Kind of ridiculous. Yeah. When you have all three tight ends go down, Sean Colkin uh, popped his Achilles, just terrible. Inman yeah. is now on IR. We know about Melvin Ingram, probably going to be out for a little bit of time. Mike Williams is out week. this past week. It's every week. At some point, it's going to be very hard to sustain. So I give this group a lot of credit for just kind of writing the ship when they have to right now. No doubt. And I think it's. Um you know, the encouraging thing is with all these injuries, you also have some guys you're going to start to see trickling back in here. Hopefully Hunter Henry will be back before long, uh, get him back in the mix. You know, look, Melvin being back, having Melvin Gordon back, and That's being big. able to get him involved in this offense is going to take some of the pressure off everybody else. So the good news is reinforcements are coming. You've got to find a way to survive this stretch, though, um, and, and hope, cross your fingers and toes, that this is going to be it. This is not going to be something that keeps happening each and every week. So entering week five, I looked this up. The Chargers have two players in the top ten in all-purpose yards. Austin Eckler is 490 more than Alvin Kamara, he leads the yeah. NFL in total touchdowns with six. Keenan Allen with 455. 
And you mentioned the return of Melvin Gordon. Safe bet we're going to see him on the field Sunday? Oh, absolutely. I, I think so. How do you think this offense changes? Because you still have to get Austin Eckler the football. Well, I, look, I think Austin's still going to get his, his carries and his touches in the backfield, but I'm interested to see, does this package expand? We saw a little bit last year with Austin Eckler in the slot, uh, doing some of the fly sweep stuff with him, with Melvin in the game in, in the backfield. Um, I think you maybe start to expand that a little bit, especially with the injuries at the skill positions. Um, it's going to be hard to take Eckler off the field, so finding another place for him. The running game, when you lose Colkin, and we don't know Virgil's status as, as we talk yeah. right now, and then Hunter will be back sooner than later. But how much does that affect the run game? Because all three of those guys are so great good. run blockers. Yeah, they're great in the run game. I think we talked about it a little bit last week is um, getting Derek Watt a little bit more involved from the fullback position just to get that sixth blocker. Um, and able to do it with tight ends when you're getting your sixth and seventh blocker, the guys you mentioned. But um, Watts, Watt can really be an asset to that run game. So I think you start seeing them incorporate uh, the fullback a little bit more maybe than they normally would. Defensively, you saw Michael Davis back, and I think it's a big boost for the secondary. First career interception. He's going to work wonders on that other side of Casey Hayward, I think, especially as these guys try to work back in as we wait on Derwin James. Mm-hmm. As some of these young guys like Roger Teamer get kind of uh, accustomed to playing in NFL defense. Yeah, you know, look, the big thing for this secondary is just keeping the ball in front of them. You know, if you can eliminate the big plays, and that comes with two things. Uh, big plays usually happen when there's a lack of communication and there's poor tackling. And when you have new faces in there, the communication can be an issue. So getting Michael Davis back out there was big. Um, seeing uh, this safety group, Rayshon's playing well. I know Coach has been very excited what he's seen from him. Um, you know, we're seeing a little bit, saw a little bit of Adderley last week, getting him kind of in the mix. And I think that's going to be something that's going to get better and better in terms of the communication going forward. Another guy that we saw before Slate, we saw a little bit more of I know. against the Dolphins. Good to see. It is good to see. From a chemistry perspective, a lot of people say, oh, you want to have the same five out there all the time. Is that really the case? Do you really need that on a consistent basis, or is it good to work a guy like Forrest in? Well, I think especially when you're in the Miami Heat, you know, and oh my God. Time, being able to get another guy in there, keep some people fresh. First of all, mental, don't, don't ever wear a suit in what Miami. You, what are you I doing? I don't know. I don't know. It was bad. bad. That's a bad call. <laughs> it's Questioning your judgment. Uh, <laughs> by the way, the AC was very cold in our uh, in our booth. It was. Week. You know what? It was like an extreme. People were wearing jackets up in Money the. Money was room. complaining about the cold. I'm <laughs> it was like, too you can't cold. do that when they're playing football with pads on at 100 degree heat down there. You can't. You're, you're not allowed to complain about the air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, but you can't practice in that out here. So it, no. it was good to get. You know, the second half is what I was a little bit worried about. Is like, can, are these guys going to be all right in this yeah. humidity? So it is good to mix in some of those guys. Yeah, I thought. You know, look, I thought I thought Lamp did a nice job. And we'll see you know, if he can continue to, to earn his reps and, and earn the trust and favor of, uh, of the coaching staff as well as his group up there. But I think the guy's always had the talent. It's just a matter of getting him some experience. The Broncos are 0-4, but yeah. they're not an 0-4 yeah. team. You know, two last-second losses at home to the Bears and the Jags. Uh, this isn't Miami. Uh, this is a yeah. team that could be easily 2-2. Two two. Absolutely. And they've got... You know, look, a lot's going to be made about Bradley Chubb and his injury and not playing, uh, but Fawn Miller is still as good as it gets, and uh, you have to worry about he him. He shows up against the Chargers, oh, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, last year single-handedly won that football game, and I also keep an eye on a guy like Cortland Sutton on offense, um, who I think is really kind of a young emerging star receiver who had you know some big plays in that game last year in, uh, in Los Angeles as well. So they've got some guys, and they are competitive, and now, man, you're, you're facing an 0-4 team that's uh, – that's going to play desperate. I, I thought that was one of the keys last week for the Chargers. Not panic, but having a sense of urgency. You're going to see a sense of urgency from a, a lot of veterans on that Broncos team knowing, look, 0-5 is a death sentence.
It is, and you know you got a, a first year head coach and Vic Fangio, and that defense didn't have any sacks going into that Jacksonville they game. Erupted last week. Yeah, they erupted last week, and I, again, even independent of not having Chubb out there, Von Miller, um, this offensive line of the Chargers is going to have some challenges protecting Phillip. Absolutely, and, and look, Vic Fangio can dial it up too. If he wants to throw some pressure looks at you, he can get exotic as exotic as anybody out there. So um, you got to be prepared for that, and. Uh, you know, this is an, an offense. If they can avoid the penalties, then pretty darn good. Doesn't matter who's out there, who's not out there. They've been very efficient in, uh, in moving the football. They just they can't get off schedule with uh, with the holding penalties. So that's something I think again in this one, you got to find a way to block these guys without holding them. Um, so that's going to be the challenge. The Broncos' offensive line versus this Chargers' defense, and you were just showing us on X's and O's, Joey Bosa's being double-teamed virtually every play, and he's holding his own and doing just fine. Still creating plenty of havoc. Yeah. Not having Melvin Ingram, though, dialing up some blitzes, what's the best way to get to Joe Flacco on Sunday? Well, I don't know if you know this. Joe Flacco's not very mobile. He's not. Yeah, that not is so true. much. That is a fact. So finding a way, uh, finding a way, just move him. I don't even know if you necessarily need to sack Joe Flacco. It's just forcing him, and it, it's kind of a cliche, but force him off his spot. He's a totally different player. When he can get comfortable and in a rhythm, uh, he's got a huge arm. They can test you vertically. But if you can make him move, and I'm not talking about moving 20 feet, I'm talking about making him move 15 inches, uh, <laughs> and you, you're going to have some success against this team. So uh, find a way to get him off the spot. Look, Garrett Bowles has been the marked man. Um, he's had a rough go of it, and um, I would imagine we'll see uh, Joey Bosa get some turns on him. Finally, keys to this game for the Chargers. You have you have Denver, then you got Pittsburgh, who's one and yeah. three. These next two weeks are, are going to be big for the Chargers. You're two and two, be four and two in two weeks. Yeah, and look, I think the key is, you know, look at a couple couple things. Um, can you finish drives offensively? Um, and we've seen, look, we've seen a couple turnovers in the end zone early in this season. Um, that would be one key. And can we just please, can we go one week without having a touchdown call? That's back? what I was going to say. A, a fourth touchdown Unbelievable. in Unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. No. And big, long touchdowns and, and penalties that not necessarily have a heck of a lot to do with the outcome of the play. That was a good-looking Keenan Keenan wow. out touchdown, man. Yeah. That was good-looking. And that was a questionable call. He's getting held, and he tries to free himself. But anyways, that yep. is what it is. But just try and find a way to get through a clean game here. I think that'll be the key. If it's a clean game, I like the Chargers' chances. All right, man. We'll see you on Sunday. Thanks, bud. All right, to get this week's Opposing View presented by Mercury Insurance, we bring in Nikki Javala of The Athletic. Nikki, it's always great catching up. A tough month in Broncos country, especially when you take those two last-second home losses into account. Yeah, it's kind of been a brutal start to the season. Um, it feels like a, you know, their four losses have all been lost on just a few plays, um, and I guess that shows you the, the fine line between the teams that win and the teams that lose in this league. Um, but the Broncos, it's, this is not how they envision the start of their season, but they also feel encouraged because of um, the way they've lost games. It's been mostly their own doing, you know, their own mistakes, be it penalties, turnovers, missed tackles, whatever. So they feel like they can easily correct it. They just got to focus more on the details. Yeah, you know, the Chargers were in Miami last Sunday. And I've said this throughout the week, uh, this Denver team is certainly not Miami. They could easily be 2-2, two and two, maybe even 3-1 and one if a couple things go their way. What's the biggest difference that you see out of this team compared to the last two seasons in Denver? Mm-hmm. I, I think they're just better coached, to be honest with you. I think players have bought into the system and the staff. I feel like players and coaches are, are held more accountable for things. Um, the scheme fits the personnel better. Um, 
So I think, you know, one of the ways, uh, one of the coaches, I won't name his name, but one of the ways he described it is, you know, it's no longer kind of a circus here. Um, and that's not the disparage the previous staff or Vance Joseph or anything. It just feels like um, there's more leadership. And that's one thing the Broncos still kind of lack in the locker room. So when they didn't have it from the coaches, it, you could see it. You could feel it. You could see it on, on Sunday. So I'd say that's the biggest difference is just the coaching. What are the Broncos saying about the Chargers and coming to L.A. in Week 5? Obviously, they had an AFC West game already. This will be the Chargers' first divisional game of the year. A big game for both teams. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the Broncos, they always get up for playing against Philip Rivers. Um, the, de- the defense, uh, he's one he's one guy that always comes up. Um, they just really enjoyed going against him. They like that he talks trash on the field. They like that he's, you know, there's a mutual respect there. And, and I think this is obviously a huge game because, like you said, it is a divisional game, but for the Broncos situation now, I mean, every game always is a must win, but, you know, they got to get out of this rut. And the longer it drags on, the worse it's going to get. Um, so if they're able to come out of it on the road against a, divi- a divisional opponent, all the better for them. Um, but the Chargers, you know, even in their smaller temporary stadium, um, it's been a challenge for the Broncos, especially in recent years. I mean, I, I remember just a couple of years ago, you know, that was one of their brutal shutout losses, and they hadn't been shut out, I think, in, gosh, uh, decades. Yeah, it was like uh, early 90s or something, loss. right? It was like early 90s. Yeah, so, you know, they, they've set some dubious records <laughs> against the Chargers on the road in recent years, but, you know, if there's ever a year to correct it, now would be a good one. Um so this is this is a big game, big game for both teams, but you know the Broncos really need to get a win here. Well, you talked about this, the mutual respect, and, and Philip Rivers spoke earlier this week uh, talking about just the the respect that he has for guys like Chris Harris and uh, Wolf, and obviously Von Miller, and the chirping that goes on back and forth. I think that's just like the AFC West. You know, it's a divisional game, and, and uh, like you said, mm-hmm. both teams get up for that stuff. But Von Miller, I tell you. 16 sacks against the Chargers, 67 tackles in 16 games. His running mate, Bradley Chubb, out for the year. But Vaughn, he, he came on last week against the Jags. I believe he had two sacks. Yeah, they they went three games without a sack across the whole team, which seems really odd, especially when you have two guys like Miller and Chubb and you bring in a linebacker specialist as your head coach in Vic Fangio. But, you know, they were able to bounce back. I think they had five altogether on the team. Miller had two. Um, Chubb had one. But, you know, losing Chubb in that game, and somehow he still managed to play throughout the whole game, and he still had he had a forced fumble late after tearing his ACL. Um, but those two in tandem, they were really starting to develop a, a rhythm. Um, and they, they helped each other, much like Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware helped each other because – you know, it, it's hard enough to account for one of them on the edge for opposing offenses, um, throw in two, and it's it's even more difficult. So losing Chubb will affect that defense in more ways than one. I mean, not only do they lose a great player and a leader in the locker room, but it could also impact Von Miller's production. Um, I, I think the plan as of now is to have sort of a committee approach 
um, with the reserves with Malik Reed, who's an undrafted rookie, Justin Collins, the fifth round pick, who's also playing inside as well as outside, and Jeremiah Tattoo, they just signed um, off the street. So it's going to be interesting to see how they try to compensate because you can't really replace a guy like Bradley Chubb and how much it affects Von Miller because, um, you know, with the way the defense has been playing, um, you know, Von, Von is crucial to the whole team. He always has been, but especially so now. And he's also good against the run. And, you know, I looked last week, Leonard Fournette, 225 yards on 29 carries. And this will probably be the first game we see Melvin Gordon in action in 2019. Uh, the run defense in Denver, do you, was that just kind of an anomaly, or is that something that you've seen throughout the first month of the season? Um, that many yards, they, that was sort of an anomaly. But last year, too, they had back-to-back games where they gave up you know, monstrous performances to opposing running backs. They can say the Jets, Isaiah Kroll had a huge game. Um, and then the Rams put up big rushing numbers against them the very next week. So they've had these periods where the run defense looks solid and then it lets up for a game. Their problem this year is they don't have, they don't have the pressure on the interior. Um, the line for Vic Fangio's system perhaps is not big enough for what he's used to playing with. Um, I, you can't really replicate the defense he had in Chicago, but this starting defensive line is much smaller. The inside linebacker, you know, you're not going to get a rope on Smith or a Danny Trevathan than these guys. So the, their weakness is on the inside, and opposing offenses know that, and they've capitalized. So they've been able to, you know, run up the middle and put up some big numbers against this defense, and, and that right now is, is their biggest weakness. So. Um, they got to find a way to clean that up. A lot of it is missed tackles too, um, but that's that's definitely been an issue for them, especially of late. Well, Nikki, also last year, Case Keenum under center, obviously a brand new offense with Joe Flacco, and you know you got Cortland Sutton taking another step. Emmanuel Sanders back from injury. Still got Lindsey and Freeman in the backfield. Uh, how's the offense different in 2019 from last year? Well, the system is. You know, it's more like what Kyle Shanahan has been running in San Francisco. I mean, it's all based on the Shanahan Foundation that they ran with Kubiak and, you know, when LA was quarterback way back in the day. But it's it's evolved. So, it's you know, there's a lot of crossing routes, a lot of tight end sets. I mean, they got two fullbacks now. Um, so they're trying to make it more nuanced. Their problem now is, they haven't really been able to fully dive into the team because of the game circumstances. I mean, their, their first half last Sunday against Jacksonville was undoubtedly the best showing they've had all season. But the second half was a total disaster. So they were, you know, forced to go, you know, hurry up and air it out. And they weren't able to use their backs as much. Um, so the, the team is quite a bit different, um, especially compared to what, Vance and Bill Musk, Bill Musk were running, um, but they still haven't been able to fully run it as they envisioned with it being, you know, more run first and play action um, because of the way the games have gone through the first four weeks. Joey Bosa, he, he still gets double team. He still finds ways to get to the quarterback. Um, this Denver offensive line versus a guy like Bosa, um, how do you get block number 97? Do you bring in some tight ends? What's the remedy against a guy like Joey Bosa? 
Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what this line has surely got to figure out. I mean, this, the Broncos across the board lacked depth and when they lost Juwan James um, to a knee injury. He's been out the last few weeks. Um, they've been relying on reserve Elijah Wilson at right tackle. Um, and the tackles, as you've seen over the years for Denver, have just not been great at all. So, um, you know, you got Garrett Bowles at left, Elijah Wilkinson at right, you got a rookie at left guard, you got Ron Leary at right guard, and Todd McGovern taking over at center. And so it, it's a brand new group up front for the Broncos in that these five had not played together before the season. They're also, you know, they're running a new scheme. Um, they got Mike Munchak as their positional coach. So there's been a lot of adjustments there. You can see it in the early going. Um, they've been better um, the last two games just in terms of penalties and the pressures allowed. Um, but this is a relatively young front five, and they're going to have their work cut out for them. I mean, in the AFC West, you're always going to face these great rushers. So um, it's going to be a challenge for them throughout the year. But um, – you know, I, I, I wish I knew how to stop Joey Bosa. I feel like I'd probably be doing more than just writing about football. <laughs> that's um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's certainly going to be, you know, a huge challenge for this offense. Vicki, who are a few kind of under-the-radar players on this Broncos team that maybe Chargers fans should have eyes on? And maybe somebody who, who didn't flash last year, maybe it's a rookie or, or somebody that, mm-hmm. that's kind of shown out the first quarter of the season. Well, I think one guy that impressed in preseason and training camp is Malik Reed, and he's probably going to be, you know, uh, opposite Von Miller at outside linebacker for most of the time as they fill the void for Bradley Chubb. But he's had very limited time against the starters. I mean, he filled in um, briefly in the fourth quarter last weekend when Bradley Chubb came out to have his knee examined, um, and he was able to get his first career sack in that stand. But he's kind of an he really is an unknown and he hasn't had a full game really as, you know, a stand-up linebacker and going against opposing team starters. So he could either surprise or he could, you know, either, hey, to say he, he could look like a rookie out there. Mm. Um, but he is definitely one to watch because, you know, he, he's just new. Um, I think on offense, uh, one guy who has looked pretty impressive to me and I, it, it's rare for me to, you know, point out an offensive lineman for a good reason. <laughs> I mean, usually, you know, it's offensive linemen when they're doing something wrong, but Dalton Reiser is second-round pick. He's their left guard. He has been very solid. He's uh, he's one of those guys who has sort of split personalities where he's, you know, like one of the sweetest human beings you've ever met, but he's away from the field, and once he gets on the field, he's just an animal, and you don't want to be anywhere near him. Um, he's extremely tough. He's got solid technique. Um, he has undoubtedly been their most consistent lineman so far. Um, so he is one to watch there. Um, another is Andy Janovich. Um, he's coming back from a pectoral muscle injury. Uh, last week was his first game back, but he's always kind of a difference maker, unnoticed difference maker, just because he comes up with these huge blocks that really open up holes in the run game. So he could be huge in this game if you know they give him more time and, and they're able to rely on the run game and they're not playing catch-up. Nikki, final thing for you. What do you think decides this one? You've seen this Broncos team play throughout the first month. These AFC West games always seem to be 
close down to the wire, especially these Broncos Charger games the last few years. What do you think decides this one? I think it's going to come down to the very end, like all the others have. Um, I think ultimately for the Broncos, it's going to be who makes the fewest mistakes. Um, that's kind of been their thing lately. Is they've shown they have the talent and and can get the yards and get the points they need. Um, but they always seem to get in the way, especially late in games with you know uh, penalties or turnovers or just silly mistakes, missed tackles, missed assignments. Um, so I think for them it's going to come down to a, you know minimizing the mistakes and and you know obviously making fewer than your opponent. And they also need to get a takeaway. They've done four straight games without a takeaway, which they've mm. never done ever. Um, they ended their sack streak, obviously, last weekend, but they still haven't gotten a takeaway, so that could be a difference maker. That's one to watch for sure. Nikki Javala, The Athletic, you're always my go-to when the Broncos play the Chargers. Great work up there, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much. Looking forward to seeing it. All right, guys, we know you love the Chargers, but you also probably love saving money, too. And Mercury Insurance can help you with that because Chargers fans save an average of $769 with Mercury. That'll get you great seats for the next game and jerseys for the whole family, too. So what are you waiting for? Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com to see how much you could save. It only takes a few minutes to switch, and it could save you a lot of money. Don't wait. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Savings info based on 2019 California Department of Insurance Rate Comparison Profile 38A. Individual savings may vary. Also, don't miss a minute of the action with the official LA Chargers mobile app. Follow real-time stats, watch your favorite Bolts programming, and live local Chargers games all season long. Download today at chargers.com slash app. Geographic and device restrictions apply. Local and primetime games only. Data Chargers may apply. All right, I couldn't be more excited to bring on our next guest. He's the host of the NFL Today on CBS, Inside the NFL on Showtime. One of the most respected people in this business, James Brown, joins me here on Chargers Weekly. JB, thank you so much for joining us, sir. How you doing? Hey, Chris. First of all, I'm thrilled to be there, especially with a former guy from the District Maryland, Virginia area, <laughs> as right. we call it, the DMV, but now on the other side of the world. But thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's it's my pleasure. Believe me. Um, you know, more times than not, when you get two members of the AFC West together on a Sunday afternoon, JB, you're going to get a good game. And we got a rivalry that really means something with the Chargers and Broncos on Sunday. I know a game that you guys are probably fired up for in that studio. No doubt about it. The AFC, obviously, is you know that's our side of the uh, the picture, and uh, we're looking forward to it. You know what? When I think about the Chargers, I think about how old is Mister Rivers? Old man Rivers just keeps it going. Is talk about a fiery and tenacious player. It, heavens, if I was still able to play, I would love to play with a guy like him because that's a teammate that you can count on. And But we also understand the inherent rivalry between two excellent franchises with a good pass, so uh, we're looking forward to it as well. You know, Phillip Rivers, you're 17, JB, and talk to your colleague Jim Nance about this. The the fact that you know Eli Manning has the torch kind of passed to Daniel Jones at this point and Big Ben out for the year and Drew Brees going down um, – Phillips start to the season, you know, third in passing yards, seven touchdowns, just two picks, pass a rating of over 105. Other than Tom Brady, it's pretty remarkable just to see the longevity of somebody at that position who hasn't missed a start since 2006. 
phenomenal is all I have to say. And when you think about people, I guess the words that come immediately to mind for me, sustained excellence, mm. augmented with passion and being an inherent leader of that squad. Look, it's often said we hear all of the cliches in the world of sports, but your best player is supposed to be your hardest worker, setting the tone for all the others. And clearly this is a quarterback-driven league. Players will get their cue, take their cue from Phillip Rivers. He, by the way, reminds me, you talk about Tom Brady, I guess the big three in terms of longevity and sustained excellence being synonymous with them would be Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, and Drew Brees in my mind for sure. But when I think about Phillip Rivers, he reminds me of, and you know since you were a tot, you know, watching me, you know, for 200 years in his business, <laughs> Red Auerbach, when, he, uh, when Larry Bird played for the Celtics, he was the standard bearer for that team. And anybody who was traded to that team, it was like Larry Bird being the coach on the floor, of course, he talked with that player. He sat down to let them understand, let him or you know him understand, or whoever the players were in, in plural, this is the way we do things. This is how it's going to be done. I'm going to be the lead, you know, the, the trendsetter here. And that's exactly what Philip Rivers is. Anybody coming there, they want to know what that guy says, what he does, and follow his lead. He's just phenomenal. The leadership that he provides on the field, JB, is second to none. And then off the field, you look at head coach Anthony Lynn, and exactly two years ago, the Chargers started 0-4 under Coach Lynn. And since that moment, they're 23-9 and in the regular season. I know from afar, you've probably watched this Chargers team and kind of how they've built from that 0-4 start to what they are now. Uh, what have you seen from Coach Lynn and kind of the winning culture that he's building here in L.A.? It speaks volumes about the person that he is. As you well know, being in the business, it's so easy for those of us who are sitting on the outside to make hasty or draw or run to and, and, and to come up with hasty generalizations. That's totally unfair because we don't know what's going on inside the clubhouse, in the locker room, in the organization, what he's doing. Many folks will just use generic uh, metrics to determine whether or not a coach is doing a job or the right culture is being set. Not true, unless you're inside the organization to know. I think back to Sparky Anderson, God bless him, uh, you know, Major League Baseball manager of fame, who once told me when I was asking him questions about another team and their players and how this manager was dealing with these baseball players. He says, you know what, J.B., uh, I have ascribed to and subscribed to the, the belief because that manager, and in this case football, that coach, they are there with those players every day. They understand far more about what it takes to inspire that person, what their real work ethic is like, how they handle challenges, how they overcome, all those things. What Anthony Lynn has done from the outside looking in has been flat out phenomenal. Gosh, hey, Chris, uh, when, when the team moved to L.A. and many of the players, and you know better than me the numbers, they were commuting from San Diego to Los Angeles or just uprooting their families and moving. All those things affect a player's performance mm. on the field. A coach has to manage to that and through that and still make it feel like it's a family and everything is okay. So in those areas, managing the variables like that that many of us on the outside don't place an awful lot of credence and a lot of weight in, 
Anthony's done a remarkable job. And, oh, by the way, the number that you just gave after that 0-4 start and being 23-9, and that speaks volumes that they've got the right guy. Now, what I do know is what everybody speaks about him, that he is absolutely a man of character and integrity, and he's the kind of guy you want in the locker room, understanding the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of the season. You want somebody who is steady like that, who's been there and understands it and can guide the ship with a steady hand. Does that make sense, Chris? No doubt about that. And, and you know, the thing with the NFL, JB, you know this better than anybody, uh, we're very quick to react. Um, and this mm-hmm. first month of the season, for example, and it's kind of a an interesting dynamic here because the Chargers just beat the Dolphins and Brian Flores, who I believe is going to be a, a fantastic head coach. Uh, they're facing the Broncos this week in Vic Fangio, who's 0-4. And I think sometimes we're quick to judge whether or not a coach is capable of, of winning at a consistent rate in the NFL. And sometimes we need to take a step back and realize that this thing, it takes time and every situation is different. And you know what? And, and this is what I've learned from many coaches I've worked with years ago in play-by-play when I worked with coaches, certainly uh, being on location doing Thursday night football or doing some of our broadcasts when I was with Fox and now back at CBS is what you just said. Let's let's look at the big picture. Don't be so quick to draw hasty generalizations without understanding the context. There's a, a biblical expression that says, don't judge a thing before it's time. You need to look at the whole picture. We all know the story of Joe Gibbs, by the way, with a background from out there, well, certainly in San Diego. That's right. Who started 0-5 uh, here in Washington. But he knew that the team was headed in the right direction, and Jack Ken Cook, God bless him, certainly was patient with him because he knew he made the right hire. Look at what, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer now. You think about um, Heaven's last year, Frank Reich with Indianapolis. And they started out, and, 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 and fandom wanted to get rid of them, saying he didn't know what he was doing. But and while they were criticizing on the outside, Frank Reich said, no, we knew by the metrics we were basing things on, but more than just metrics, because we do have a tendency to go overboard when we think about analytics. There's the human side of the uh, the equation as well, too, which is what really determines a good coach who can um, work in the balance of the metrics and the human aspects of, uh, of motivating people. Frank Wright turned that squad around, and we know what they did last year. And here he weathers the storm of losing Andrew Luck before the season even starts. So we need to look at people, you know, in contact over the long haul. And Anthony Lynn checks all the right boxes that would suggest that the kind of culture that has been established there, along with Tom Telesco, and let me give him some credit as well, too, oh, yeah. uh, in that regard, that the, that the ship is uh, heading in the right direction. And again, I know I'm saying this to you, and you've got your finger on the pulse better than me, but is that a good read, an accurate read, more importantly? It is, and you know, it, it takes everybody. And you mentioned Tom Telesco, and I'm glad you did it because you know the drafts that he's had over the last several years. There's a lot of young guys on this team, um, and the Chargers, as you well know, have had a lot of injuries throughout the first four weeks of the season. You lose three of your tight ends, wide receiver for a little bit of time, uh, perhaps your best defensive player in Derwin James. Melvin Ingram's probably going to be out this week. So to have younger guys that can step in and play valuable reps and kind of hold down the fort until some of these starters come back, that speaks volumes. And and it's a lot of young guys who have experience early in their careers that you typically wouldn't have. Which is going to prove beneficial 
down the line to get that opportunity. And again, how awesome to be in an environment where you've got, you know, and, and I'm sure you know this as well, too. When you look at an organization that is undergoing change, as all do in terms of the balance on the squad of the kind of players that they have there, clearly you want talent. We get that. But you also want those seasoned players who still are showing um, talent, showing utility, um, adding value to the team. And clearly, we've already talked about the Philip Rivers and what he's done in that regard. But you want to have guys who show the younger players what being a professional is all about. That's critical. That's something that the coach cannot do in that locker room where he doesn't have the influence, he being the coach. But they, I mean, they can have influence, but they're not in there day in and day out. You know, there's got to be a good locker room culture. That's what Philip Rivers and others, the other seasoned professionals, are showing the youngsters who've got talent so that that talent is really nurtured in the right fashion. You and I, Chris, have seen a number of examples over the years of some prodigiously talented players coming into the league on a team where maybe you've got a few prima donna superstars Mm -hmm. who aren't interested in creating the right kind of culture, and that young, talented person adapts that same attitude, and that is not healthy for the franchise long haul. JB, I tell you, there's a guy who the Chargers signed this offseason, and you would think he's been here for a decade, and that's Thomas Davis, uh, Walter Payton Man mm. of the Year, um, the only defender from the 2005 draft class that's still in the league. Um, his work ethic and what he kind of sets, he sets a tone on defense for a lot of these young guys at the linebacker position and even in the secondary defensive line, um, there's a standard. And, you know, Phillip Rivers is certainly that guy on offense. But when you're bringing a guy like Thomas Davis, who's 36 years old, still running around like he's 24 years old, um, but it's his leadership that I think means more than anything. Hey, can I say thank you so very much for even underscoring that? Because you're right, other than those who follow the L.A. Chargers really closely from wherever they are, you're right. Most of us on the outside don't think down in the weeds more granularly, if you will, like you just did in pointing out what that guy on the defensive side of the ball really means. Heavens, I work with a Hall of Famer and a guy who's, man, his passion. Bill Sims was teasing Ray Lewis. He said, Ray, please. Keep your blood pressure below 150. You're about to explode here on the set. <laughs> but you love seeing that displayed out on the football field in practice settings where, you know, again, the younger guys are taking the lead of an old lion like that who's still playing like a young lion and who has the attitude of that. They don't want to let him down. They don't want to disappoint him. I think about Ray Lewis and how much he talked about Ed Reed bringing that same kind of passion and determination and leadership out there in the field as well, too. So if you've got a Thomas Davis doing that. Those are the ingredients that Anthony Lynn and Tom Telesco and the rest, the brain trust there, they understand that. And if you can bring in some young, talented players and they're rallying around an excellent role model like that on the defensive side of the ball, hey, good for you. Because again, we're, we're still, we're, we're just going into week five right now and you look at the long haul and, and that's AFC West division. Clearly Kansas City is playing extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, people understand where the weaknesses may be defensively. Oakland looking to try to rebound from all that went on in the preseason with Antonio Brown. The Chargers are right there. And as you mentioned about Vic Fangio and Denver, you know, when they get that thing turned around, playing to 
Joe Flacco's strengths and designing things around that, even though right now they're taking a lot of heat from the press. That is still a strong division, to say the least. And let's see how it plays out over the long haul. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe we're only in week five. There's so much more football to go. And, JBI, you've been so gracious with your time. We'll get you out of here on this. Just your, your takeaways from the first quarter of the NFL season. Who's impressed, surprised, maybe disappointed? There's, there's been so many things that have happened over this first quarter that I don't think many people were expecting. Yeah, you know what? And uh, I'm not going to be as good as you in terms of trying to be succinct with it. But as we just talked about uh, in terms of the uh, AFC West, we kind of gave a little thumbnail of the squads there. Folks may be totally surprised to see how things shake out down the stretch. Loving what Andy Reid has done with Patrick Mahomes because many people in the Washington area are trying to say, hey, put the young quarterback Dwayne Haskins in there. But you know what? Just because he's a young quarterback, you don't measure him the same way you do Daniel Jones and everybody else. Mm. Patrick Mahomes rode the bench for a year learning. Andy Reid understood that. When you look at the AFC South, uh, I'm like, and again, I mentioned Frank Reichen, how he's weathered the storm nicely with the, uh, the, uh, the unexpected retirement of Andrew Luck. And right now, everybody in that division is 2-2. Two and two. Houston, I mean, I think just this, uh, Deshaun Watson is just really uh, remarkable in what he is as a leader, and I just hope they can you know, get the kind of protection that they need from him. Many people thought Cleveland would just be a runaway squad because they've got this great collection of talent, but let's see what happens. And in that AFC North, uh, I look at Lamar Jackson, still a long ways to go, but certainly he's shown the flashes of what he can be as that balanced quarterback uh, that people were expecting. I'm surprised at what's happened to Pittsburgh. Uh, but then again, I guess you can't have a diminution of talent like that and not expect it to not have an impact on them and then to lose Ben Roethlisberger and that's one and three. And gosh, let me ask you, Chris, because uh, I don't want to go through all the NFC. When will New England ever show a chink in the armor, Chris? <laughs> you know what? It's a great question because we were there in January and it was uh, – it was a tough game for the Chargers, to say the least. Um, you see Steven Guskowski is on IR now. But I, I tell you what, JB, they have an operation there that they, they bounce back from, whether it's injuries, any adversity. Uh, they have uh, probably the, the greatest coach of all time, greatest quarterback of all time, and, and a program that just continuously is dominant. So your guess is as good as mine as to the, the last time we're going to see New England in, uh, in a deep playoff run. It, it really is remarkable. Hey, first of all, you have gotten me fired up because I know there's so much more we could have delved into. I, I think about the uh, the New York Giants and how fans were booing the fact that the Daniel Jones is taken with, what, the six pickup lead? That's right. Uh, and they were just thinking that Dave Gettleman just lost it. And now, of course, they want to you know uh, do a parade for him. It's still a long season, but it just goes to show you, hey, you know what, again, as you and I have been kind of an underlying theme, take a look at the entire picture. It's a long season. Let's see what happens, and there's going to be an awful lot more season remaining. But, Chris, please drag me back on your show again. This is good. I'm learning as much from you as hopefully whatever couple nuggets I can throw your way, and I wish you continued success in all that you're doing. Well, JB, your television show is appointment television inside the NFL, and you guys are giving Ray a hard time about his toe this week on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) That was hilarious. Hey, hey, Chris. Chris, I'm sure, speaking of hilarious, you had to laugh as well, too, as much as we try to talk football and give the fans, you know, kind of set the table for what they're going to see the upcoming week, you know, from guys who are in the fraternity of players and coaches. 
Can you believe that one of the most talked about, often asked questions right now uh, through week four is when is Phil Sims going to have that pull-up bar in the studio and is he going to get 20 chin-ups that he challenged uh, Brandon Marshall and uh, Ray Lewis that he can get done <laughs> and Michael Irvin. So anyway, there's what you call real good football talk, right, Chris? Uh, that's, <laughs> it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better than you, JB. I can't thank you enough hey, for your Carson, time. You. It, w- it will have you back soon. Really appreciate it. Sounds good, Chris. Thank you so very much, buddy. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to James Brown, Nikki Javala, Daniel Jeremiah, and Jim Nance for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, be sure to download and subscribe to the all-new Chargers Podcast Network. We're now on Spotify and SoundCloud, too. So wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure to download. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the game on Sunday. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayreed.